and welcome to the Teaching Together podcast, where we celebrate the glows and grows of teacher life. I'm Grace. And I'm Sierra. Each episode on the podcast, we wanted to take a few minutes to acknowledge our glows and grows from the past teaching week. You've probably heard this phrase before or seen it on a feedback stamp, but if not, it's a pretty common quick feedback tool used on student assessment, much along the same lines as medals and missions or three stars and a wish, where we try and provide feedback about the things that our students are doing well, the glows, and then choose one or two focus areas to work on from here the grows. We also thought it would be a cool tool to use for prompting helpful reflections on our own teaching practice. School isn't quite back for students here in New South Wales, but the countdown is on and our preparation has well and truly begun. There's plenty to be thinking about already. So Grace, do you have a glow or grow to share as we head into this week? So mine is kind of a glow and a grow actually, and relates to my professional goal for this year of growing my confidence. So as a first year out teacher, I am acutely aware that I have not done this before and I haven't had complete control over my own class. I haven't had responsibility for a whole class yet. I've done casual teaching and I've done placement and that's when I can just kind of show up and jump onto someone's class that's already been established and they already have routines and they already know how things work and I get to play teacher for a bit and then I leave and that's it. So I'm very aware that I'm jumping into a familiar environment, but with much more complex role now. And I'm very, very excited to do that, but also aware that I want to do a good job. And potentially there are some things that as a first year teacher, maybe aren't the best, most sustainable practices that work well in a classroom and all that kind of stuff. All that to say that I want to be growing my confidence and trusting my instinct and knowing that I've been hired as a teacher by my school for a reason. They obviously think I'm good enough to do this job. So why should I be doubting myself? There is a point where it can be good to be a little bit hesitant, but you can't let that hold you back. And I really don't want to be held back just because I'm quote unquote young or quote unquote inexperienced. And I really wanted to share some encouragement that one of the beautiful teachers who is also on kindergarten this year said to me, she is quite experienced in teaching and we actually worked together as casual teachers last year. Um, So I've already gotten to know pretty well. And she said to me, just because I am an inexperienced teacher does not mean I can't teach. And she was very encouraging about the fact that she thinks I'm quite a good teacher already, which was really nice to hear. That is so good. Like it is just so important to be an encouragement to each other when you're at work and in your workplace. And part of the reason we've done this whole thing is because we want teachers to be getting alongside each other and encouraging each other and building each other up. My glow would have to be my new Gorman raincoat that I got on sale last week. I'm so excited to wear it to school on a miserable rainy day. It's just so bright and colourful. It brings me joy and I haven't even seen you in it. I've just seen it. And I just think it's so you, but also so unexpected for you. Like, so unexpected. Like, I would never wear something really, really bold and bright, but I just saw it and just thought, this is adorable. It is. And I've always wanted a fun raincoat. Like, there's nothing worse than just trudging around in all black on a rainy day at school. And I'm just so excited to wear this new raincoat. And thankfully, it's been a bit drizzly today, so I've been able to wear it in and out of my car. And anyway, it's just fabulous. So that's definitely glow for me. But a more appropriate glow would be 
I've been mulling over my year 11 program that I've been writing and I did heaps of it sort of on the week after school finished and then I've had a big break and I've let just kind of stew and ponder in my mind and now I'm feeling really confident about my idea. I was feeling really stressed about it towards the end of last year and so I was like not sure where I was going to go with it and a bit overwhelmed and feeling like I wasn't going to come up with a good idea and anyway, I've let it sit and it's simmered in there for long enough (laughs) that I think I'm ready to jump back onto my computer and get that all finished. So I'm excited to tick that off my to-do list and very excited that I've finally come to a conclusion of what I'm going to do. But glows and grows we feel like are really important. And so if you have a glow or grow from your week that you'd love to share, please put it in our Facebook community group because we'd love to be encouraging each other and supporting each other throughout teaching weeks. Well, we are about to jump into the 2024 school year and thought it would be a great opportunity to unpack some strategies and ideas around setting yourself up well for the year. Over the next few episodes, we're going to do a deep dive into topics like establishing classroom routines, expectations, time management, and some teacher well-being. But today, we are going to be chatting about classroom environment and all things classroom decor. So before we go on, Grace, I want to know how are you feeling about setting up your own classroom for the first time and what is going to be your 2024 theme? So overall, I am just thrilled to be given creative control over what my classroom looks like. That is definitely one of the things I'm most excited about at this point in the year. And very importantly, my classroom decor theme is dinosaurs. And I really wanted to plug the beautiful watercolor dinosaur theme that I, from Stay Classy Classrooms, It is just beautiful and I bought it because it's not too feminine, it's not too masculine, it kind of hopefully will appeal to my whole class because it's dinosaurs. What five-year-old doesn't like dinosaurs? It's just so cute. But it's not too gender specific, like it's not very aggressive and the colours are quite muted even though it's still a rainbow kind of colour scheme and it just really appealed to me and so I'm hoping that it will appeal to all of my students without creating a sensory overload essentially. It's so exciting. The dinosaurs are literally the cutest thing I've ever seen. And as a crafter, I really feel like I miss out on this. Uh, But as high school teachers, we are so frequently hopping between classrooms or sharing spaces with other teachers. And it's just really hard to make a space feel like it's your own. I'm very lucky in the sense that I mostly operate out of two classrooms and one of them I'm the only teacher who uses it. So I've kind of had the freedom to do a little bit of what I want with that space. But it is still really hard when you teach across so many age groups because I have my 12-year-olds who respond really well to certain things that my 16 and 17-year-olds just won't really value in the same way. So I'm very jealous of primary teachers at this time of year when I get to see all the planning and crafting that is going on and being put into setting up such beautiful spaces for their new class. But I have been wondering, is there an ever-increasing pressure on primary teachers especially to have these beautiful, insta-worthy classrooms and whether that kind of takes away from some other really important things? And the short answer to that is yes. 
When I was doing a search, when I was still thinking about my classroom theme, I did a search on Instagram for teacher and for classroom and for classroom setup. And I was bombarded with dozens and dozens of accounts of perfectly curated classrooms that generally presented by early primary teachers seems to be where these kind of teachers live. And it looks like it would be a full-time job just to keep up this classroom. You have to water all the plants. You do have to water all the plants and you have to laminate and you have to cut out the things that you laminate and you have to keep them on the walls and you have to make sure that students don't touch them. And I find that the culture around classroom decor is primarily towards does this look nice to me rather than what purpose is it serving my classroom. And seems to me that there is kind of pervasive idea that if a classroom is well organized and well decorated, that teacher really cares about their class. But if a classroom is under-decorated or not presented as aesthetically, then maybe that teacher doesn't care as much. And that's definitely the vibe that you get from the internet um, and from social media, but that's not true. And I think all of us here listening to this podcast, and Sierra and I definitely know that it's not true. And of course, there is something to be said for a classroom that is aesthetically pleasing because your kids and you, you live in that room and you spend lots of your time there and you want to have a sense of ownership and pride and belonging and you want it to be a pretty space. But the classroom environment is far more than that, which we're going to get into in this episode. Mm. I really want to get stuck into this discussion more and to think about how we can set up beautiful, positive learning environments for our classes this year, even without going all out on colour-coordinated classroom decor and without spending too much on craft supplies. I think we need a combination of PLEs, positive learning environments and pretty learning environments. Before we think about this and what that might involve, we're going to go and make a cup of tea. As teachers, we know the absolute privilege it is to sit in one spot for an extended period of time with a warm beverage that is still warm. And so as we're drinking our tea today, we wanted to include you in this experience. Um, so I am drinking my favourite tea of all time. It's called Green Rose from T2. It's just brilliant. It's your basic green tea, but just with a little floral extra. And it's just brilliant. It is goes with everything. I love to have it with a little sweet morsel, which I currently don't have, which is a bit sad. But the green rose is fantastic. Highly recommend. Sierra, what are you drinking? I am enjoying a plain old peppermint, which I love. I discovered peppermint tea when I was working at my first school, actually. And it was probably one of those days where there was like no English breakfast left. And I thought, I'll just have peppermint and discovered I really enjoyed it. So I'll never go back. Peppermint was the tea that got me into tea. There you go. Yeah, there you go. It is the tea. It is. Well, we have discovered that teaching is not cheap. In 2020, the Australian Education Union surveyed more than 12,000 public school teachers to work out what they spent of their own money on average across the year on essential school supplies for their students. Grace, if I was going to ask you how much you think teachers spend on average, what do you think it would be? Look, since I am now a teacher, I'm going to, I would hope. It would be like a couple of hundred dollars, three hundred dollars, maybe. But I'm looking at your face and you're saying no. No, no, not quite. Incredibly, the average shown from this survey was that teachers spent $874 of their own money on essential school supplies. 
That's too many monies. It's too many monies. And while this is not going to be the case for everyone in all school contexts, buying school supplies can be a slippery and expensive slope. I did do a few calculations on things that I wanted to buy when I was setting up my own classroom to see what I might be spending. And um, the first three teacher subscription websites that provide you resources. And I wanted to preface that because we love teaching subscription services here at Teaching Together. We think they're awesome. Why reinvent the wheel when you can pay two bucks for it? Uh, But the subscription services that I listed here, ones that teachers that I know use and rave about, but they're actually kind of on the expensive side. So the first one here is Top Teacher, which I've had a browse of, and it is fantastic, but that will cost you $144 a year. And there is no monthly option. You have to just pay it and you're committed for the year. Another one is Twinkle, which is actually the same cost. It's $144 a year, but you can pay around $12 a month instead. And that means that you can cancel on a month by month basis, which gives you a bit more flexibility. And then the old favorite Teach Starter, which is about $100 a year if you want the basic version, but you can't really do anything other than download and print resources. If you want to do anything else beyond that, you need to pay $157 a year, which again is just one lump sum and you're in for the whole year. So already that's like $300 that you, if you got just two of those, you're already spending $300, which is I very naively suggested would be the total that you're spending on stuff. And then if we just go down, for example, that I saw a really came up bookshelf that I wanted for my classroom just to store my teacher things, like my reference textbooks and you know emergency snacks and that kind of thing, that was $55. Then there are the classic, the set of 10 rainbow drawers you can get from Kmart, you can get from Spotlight, any of those wonderful places. They're about 60 bucks. I had a look and for a set of drawers that you get from Kmart. So, you know, not cheap. And then we get to teacher stationery and I could spend a million dollars at Officeworks quite happily and easily, but I had a conservative estimate of about $200 on all teacher stationery. So pens, whiteboard markers, all that stuff. Then my classroom decor pack that I mentioned before from Stay Classy Classrooms was only $8, which is fantastic, but you can spend like $60, $70 on Etsy. Then of course you want personalized sticker pack that match your classroom theme, because why wouldn't you? And they're $10 each. Thankfully, printing and laminating for me is free at school, which is such a blessing. Very thankful for that. Then my wonderful Mrs. Edgar teacher diary. Yes, I jumped on the Mrs. Edgar train because it's a good train to be on. That was about $70 when I bought it. I pre-ordered it in like August last year when I knew that I was going to be working full-time this year. I just, I couldn't wait. It was too exciting. So all in all, it's roughly... $800 of my own money that I have spent before classes even started. And that's not even including any essential supplies that the survey was talking about. That's just stuff that I want that I could make an argument is necessary for my classroom. Maybe not all of it, but it's definitely not wasted money. It's just a lot of money. No, of all those things that you've listed, they don't seem frivolous at all. You know, it seems totally reasonable for you to have those things. And as somebody setting up their classroom for the first time, it kind of makes sense that you might be buying some bigger ticket items that you wouldn't get year after year. But still, to think that some teachers are spending that amount year in, year out is a bit scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But subscription services, I do want to give an extra shout out to. Uh, They are so helpful. And 
I think a lot of them are much more targeted at primary teachers. And so it's easier for primary teachers to find a wider range of services that are more appropriate to them and they might be able to have a bit more opportunity to pick and choose what works for them. But I do want to note that Twinkle and their new secondary sort of section called Beyond um, was really, really helpful for me, particularly in my first year or two of teaching. Halfway through my first year of full-time teaching, we went into lockdown and so I just decided to bite the bullet and pay for my Twinkle subscription because it just made it so much easier for me to set work for my students to do at home. But after that, I didn't change it for a long time. I kept using it. I love that they have differentiated resource packs that come in various levels and abilities. And sometimes when I was just stuck on an idea of how to teach a particular uh, content point, to sort of look at that and go, okay, what resources are already there? This is starting point that I can go from. Maybe I can use this worksheet as a entry ticket or as a revision sheet or whatever it is. And then their graphics and illustrations are also very cute. And it's just very well put together. And I think they are seeing the need for more secondary um, resources. And so particularly if you're someone who teaches English science or maths and some of those core subjects, definitely jump on and have a look at Twinkle because it's not just for primary teachers. It has a lot going for it at the moment. And we are not sponsored by Twinkle. I just think that they're great. I use them less now because I'm mostly teaching design and there's a bit less theoretical work that goes with that. But it was so helpful when I was first starting out school because otherwise I would spend hours like literally staying up till 10 o'clock at night on things for the next day and it was just so unsustainable. So it's really important. The best piece of advice I got while I was on a prac was from a teacher who said, don't spend hours of your life making something that you could buy for $2. And it's just, it's changed my mindset because I'm such a DIYer. <laughs> I make my own clothes. I, you know, build my own house. <laughs> I say I craft everything and anything that I think that I can do. I think it's really hard for me to sometimes go, actually, it is worth me just paying for that resource because it already exists. It's already great. I don't need to spend heaps of time doing that. So big shout out to resources and having a look around at what's online. You are not a bad teacher for using things that already exist and that people have put a lot of time and effort into. Yeah. And the great thing about those is that they are tax deductible. So if you pay for one of those subscriptions, you can claim that on your tax return at the end of the financial year. But I want to clarify something around tax returns, which, not that I'm a tax person, but I think it's so easy to think as teachers when we buy something for our classroom or when we buy something for school that, oh, this is tax deductible, so it's basically free. Yeah, no, girl math does not apply here. It does not. And so if you choose not to be reimbursed by your school for something that you buy, uh, or if you're not able to be reimbursed by your school for something that you buy, you can claim that on your tax return as a work-related expense, but you're still paying for it. And so it's not just a write-off that like, oh, I'll put that on my tax return, so therefore I'm not really paying for it. Because so often we'll see something when we're just at Woolies or Kmart or, and we wherever we are and we just think oh I'll just grab this for my classroom it'll be so great 
and we haven't seen it before. We didn't think that we were going to pick it up. And so we didn't check in with our head teacher or grade leader or whoever it is that you need to ask before you sort of spend school money. And so we just think, oh, that's okay. I'll just keep the receipt and I'll claim it on my tax return. And it just doesn't make it free. And we can feel really bad for asking for reimbursements. But I do want to say that if your school is willing to pay for certain things, that you shouldn't feel like you have to pay for them yourself. Everybody's in a different context and sometimes you do have to buy your own things, but don't feel bad for asking for reimbursements on things that you are entitled to be reimbursed for. I think that's especially important to keep in mind when you're a new teacher. This might be your first full-time job and you feel like you've got a lot more disposable cash than you've ever had before. And if you get in the habit of just buying things for school that maybe make your classroom prettier or just more functional, but it's on you to pay for it, it can set a bit of a challenging precedent because maybe you can't maintain that long-term or maybe other teachers can't maintain that and it just gets a little bit tricky. So I think it's really important to buy what you need to and especially when it's your first year setting up your classroom, it's so exciting to buy all the things. But we need to be realistic about what is appropriate to be spending on our classroom. I think some people get really carried away with that. Yes, I've had to make Sarah my accountability partner (laughs) and I've told her because of all the beautiful dinosaur themed items that are available on the internet, I've had to tell Sierra, you need to tell me to stop. (laughs) You need to tell me to not buy all of the dinosaur things on Amazon. This is very important to keep in mind. I don't want to waste all of my disposable income on this random stuff that is then going to go to the bottom of my storeroom and get dust. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So it's exciting. And we want to have a few special things, but we don't need to afford. No. So with that in mind, we have been doing some research on makes a positive learning environment and have come up with three big ideas to keep in mind when you're planning and setting up your classroom this year. The first one is that the way we organise our classroom tells our students and whoever enters the room, we think the purpose of learning is. The second big idea is that students are more accountable for their learning when their learning is visible. And thirdly, students should feel a sense of ownership over their room. I've been using these school holidays to read a book called Creating Cultures of Thinking by a very accomplished education researcher named Ron Richart. And he's part of Harvard's Project Zero. And you might have heard of them. They have spearheaded the like thinking tools and making thinking visible kind of movement. And he poses some questions that I found quite helpful in looking at these three big ideas that we just mentioned in more detail, particularly as I'm setting up my classroom for the very first time. And these questions, number one, what am I designing my classroom for? Spoiler alert, it's learning. (laughs) Number two, do my displays highlight my creativity or that of my students? And related, number three, does this space feel like a home for my students and their learning? And number four, does this space feel authentic? And what immediately comes to my mind at the beginning of the school year is that if your students are going to have a place in your classroom, a lot of your walls are going to be bare at the beginning of the year because your students haven't been in them to create stuff. And I just wanted to preface this whole discussion by saying that because our students and their learning need to be at the front of our minds when we're creating our classroom decoration schemes, whatever they might be. And in relation to that, if I'm thinking about the very first question, what am I designing my classroom for? Ron Richart references another guy called David Thornburg, 
who has this theory called primordial learning metaphors, which is super academic, but basically just means there are three things that most classrooms, particularly primary classrooms, but most classrooms need to do. The first one is there need to be a campfire, which is a place for whole class discussion. The second one is a watering hole, which is a place for small groups. And then the third is a cave, which is individual learning and honestly where I wish I could spend all of my time. And basically what David Thornburg is saying with these primordial learning metaphors is that your classroom needs to adapt to each of these three learning styles because you're going to need different types of configurations depending on what activity you're doing and what you're learning about. And most classrooms, whether that's in a high school D&T classroom or a kindergarten classroom, are going to need those. And so I found that very helpful just to think, okay, can my classroom accommodate each of these three things, not all at the same time, but can my classroom adapt to the needs of my learners? It's just really important to keep in front of your mind. And another thing that I just really wanted to get off the bat with was authenticity. And I've been in quite a few classrooms as pre-service teacher and as a casual teacher. And I personally can immediately tell when a classroom's physical appearance has been exclusively curated by the teacher. And it feels as though it's the teacher's classroom rather than the student's classroom. And it just feels a little bit insincere. Like, where is the learning happening? Like, yes, this is a beautiful classroom, but I can't see that the students have actually done anything. What are they learning? And classrooms are places of learning, obviously. I hope that you know that by now, Um, which means they are going to get messy. They're going to get loud. They're going to get a little bit chaotic. And they need to be able to do that because learning doesn't happen quietly. Learning is a group activity. And if you have 20 to 30 students all making noise at the same time, it's going to get a bit rowdy. Um, And I think particularly in a primary school classroom, because we do have the freedom of having our own class just for us the entire year, the teacher's going to care about the decor way more than the students are. Honestly, the students don't care about your banners and your displays and that kind of thing. They care about seeing their work on the wall and going, hey, that's mine. And maybe you have a parent day where they come in and see your classroom and your students can go, hey, mum, dad, whoever, that's my work. How cool is that that my work's there? And that's what I really hope that I can bring to my classroom as I'm setting it up and further into the year when hopefully I do bring families in, they can see that their child has a space in this classroom because it's their classroom and they belong and they matter and they are taking up space in this room because it's their classroom. And so I'm just, as I'm thinking really realistically about what my display is going to look like this year um, and thinking about what Ron Richard has said in this book, it's important to keep the students at the front of my mind so that I don't go crazy with all this beautiful stuff and then go, oh, actually, this is all me and none of it has anything to do with my students, which has actually required a lot of self-control because there are so many beautiful, beautiful classroom themes on the internet. You can buy, you can get for free, whatever. And you're like, oh, that is so cute. That is so beautiful. I can totally see that going here or there or whatever. But I'm really trying to narrow myself down to, well, kindergarten needs the alphabet. And they need numbers 1 to 20, maybe 1 to 30. And whatever sight words we're learning and cute door display that has all their names so people know they're in the right classroom. Really, at the beginning of the year, that's kind of all I need. And I'm really trying to be very deliberate about limiting myself to that. I love this metaphor of a campfire. I think whole group discussion sitting in a circle is so much more powerful than whole group discussion 
sitting in some other kind of configuration. I mean, your standard high school classroom that might have, you know, four or five rows and you've got your kids up the front who are always putting their hands up and the kids up the back who might be just doing their own thing. It can be very hard to facilitate effective whole group discussion or classroom discourse. And circles in particular, I just think create just a much more like homey kind of positive space. I remember a couple of years ago, I had a really challenging class and whenever we had to sit and have a discussion about behavior or what was going on and what we needed to improve, we always did that in a circle. And I joined the circle with them because sometimes I think it just speaks a lot to them when we're sort of having a team huddle kind of discussion. And I'm part of that rather than me standing facing them, telling them kind of what's going on. So I love these campfire discussions, even when things are going wrong, which you'd rather not have those kind of discussions. But one of my favorite memories for me as a high schooler was in my designer technology class, our teacher, part of our entry routine was to come in, grab a stool, and everyone would sort of sit their stool in this semicircle around the teacher's bench at the front of the room. And we would use, you know, five to 10 minutes at the start of the lesson to talk about whatever we had to talk about, instructions or where we were up to, mark the role, whatever things it was. Sometimes we would talk about things that we didn't have to talk about and we would go on tangents and it was great. But I think that moment sitting as a group with our teacher was one of those really good rapport building moments. And it was so much better than us all sitting at our individual benches spread out across the room. Uh, there's just something really different about being all close together. And so that was something that I really wanted to try and create with my classes because I just thought it was a great way to sort of build that positive learning environment with my class. But sometimes we have to face the fact that we physically constrained by objects in our room or room layouts that we are genuinely not in control of. So I I would start by inviting my class into the room. I'd ask them all to grab a stool and try and make that semicircle around the front. And they would hate it. It was a little squishy. It wasn't quite enough room for everyone to fit in sort of one nice layer. So there'd be people sort of stuck in a bit of a corridor thing between two other benches. And students would start to complain. And I really wanted to push for it. But after a few weeks and reflecting and listening to their feedback, I kind of realized this is not achieving what I actually wanted to achieve. The whole idea of this, everybody huddled together, let's have a campfire discussion to start off our lesson was really meant to be a positive thing. And if they finding it frustrating, then it wasn't really doing what I'd hoped for. And so that was a moment for me where I had to actually let go of my vision of my classroom and respond to more the needs of my students. Not to say that we don't ever have whole class discussions and we always still start off our lesson with some kind of touch base, but I've had to accept that it's different to the way that I wanted it to be. And I think maybe that spoke a lot more to them about how it's their space too, because I don't want to keep forcing them into doing something that's just not working for us as a class. Yeah. And sometimes we are just 
physically limited by things like workbenches that are diner bolted into the concrete floor. <laughs> like I can't move them. You know, it's it's great if you've got tables on wheels and you can quickly push things to the side and you can all sit in a circle and mm. have these great campfire discussions. But sometimes you are genuinely blocked by obstacles and you've got to work out creative ways to do things differently. End of the day, the positive connections with your students is what we're aiming for. Exactly. And so it may be different to what I've seen modelled to me, but that's the priority. 100%. One of the strategies I've tried to use to navigate some of my obstacles that I face with my actual physical room being that there's machines all around the walls, so there's very limited wall space to even put things up, and the fact that it's a shared space. And we were talking about, you know, as a high school teacher, sometimes you've got five classes. How do you actually have space to make the learning from your class visible? There is not enough wall space to put up work from all of your students, from all of your classes, not to mention the five other classes that also use that space that you don't teach. Like it's really hard. And so one of the strategies I've tried using a couple of times, which has been really effective, is a gallery walk. So it's this idea that you might give your students a task and a time limit. And at the end of that time limit, their work goes up and the class actually moves around as if they're walking through an art gallery and could give feedback or just take a chance to have a look at the learning of the other people in the class. So I've done it before, for example, with design sketches where I might say, okay, guys, after half an hour, we're going to blue tack our sketches to the wall. You all get a small pad of sticky notes and we're going to go around and we're going to do a PMI on each other's designs. PMI stands for plus minus interesting and it's a pretty regular um, thinking routine that we use in D&T. But that was just a really great activity for getting kids to get peer feedback on their designs and make their learning visible so they were accountable. They couldn't spend the first half an hour of the lesson sitting there kind of just doodling because they had to have a design to show for it at the end. And so then I sort of used, you know, a timed rotation and we did, you know, two minutes kind of, and you'd have to move on to a next design and give the drawer some feedback before you moved on. Um, I think that is a great tool to be able to overcome space issues, making learning visible and making learning accountable and learners accountable to each other in a room that's a shared space and that you don't have a lot of, you know, freedom to leave things up permanently. So that might be a strategy that you could use. I mean, you could use it in rotations in primary settings too for something that you may not want to leave up permanently, but you still want that idea of students being able to interact with each other's work or see what each other are doing. Yes, because if you wanted to display every piece of work that you ever did in a classroom, you would run out of room in a day. But I love the idea of a gallery walk because it also means that students active in their giving and receiving a feedback, which is a really important skill anyway. So important. So I, I really like the sound of that. And I hadn't heard of it before you mentioned it. So I'm really glad you did because it helped me out too. But before we wrap up, I just wanted to give some kind of concrete examples of what I'm going to be putting up 
on my walls since we've had this whole discussion about kind of what not to put up. And I'll probably get back to you guys in a couple of weeks when I actually have real students in my class and we've done some things and we've interacted with the space as a class and I can tell you how it went. But first of all, because I am teaching kindergarten, they don't know how to read or write. They don't really know what numbers are. Hopefully they will know how to maybe recognize their name. Maybe they can write it, but they don't know how to do anything essentially, which is actually one of the exciting things for me because I get to make them into real humans. (laughs) However, the things that I'm putting on my classroom walls cannot have paragraphs of text because my students will not be able to read them. I cannot have um, displays on my walls that have detailed explanations of what punctuation marks mean and how they're used or different addition and subtraction strategies because I've seen some beautiful resources and displays that have all this stuff but I'm thinking my students actually don't know how to read that they wouldn't be able to access that resource so it would be pretty pointless and a waste of space in my specific classroom to use that so the things I'm thinking of putting up in my room I mentioned before the alphabet so thankfully there are tons of gorgeous alphabet displays, which is very exciting because I can actually use them and they will be helpful for the entire year as students learn to recognize and sound out and like write their letters properly. And so I am going to be putting up one of the classic primary school displays of just all the 26 letters of the alphabet on an A4 piece of paper with picture of something they will recognize that starts with that letter and the uppercase and lowercase versions of that letter. It's pretty basic, but means that on the very first day, I'm not going to be doing a whole lot of learning or writing or reading or anything like that. But from the very first day, my students will be exposed to this kind of information. And it's stuff that I will be regularly referring to throughout the year. Um, And it's not going to be pretty, but not functional. It's going to be quite functional, which is the best kind of display. It's beautiful and functional. (laughs) How do you plan to make those things pretty and in line with your beautiful dinosaur things, but still having function at the center of their purpose. So thank you for asking me that because my beautiful dinosaur theme is very customizable, however, does not suit all of the purposes that I wish it would. So I actually have gone to Top Teacher and I've downloaded, I think it's called, what's it called? Brights? No, I lie. It's called Good Vibes. And it's kind of, kind of, pastel rainbow theme that actually suits the color scheme of the dinosaurs but it means that I'm not going to have dinosaurs filling up every corner of my room every time I want to do a display. Um, So my alphabet is going to be from Top Teacher and it's going to be very basic with every letter is a different color. Well there's a color scheme (laughs) and there's not going to be 26 different colors. I think that would be sensory overload (laughs) but there are different colours for the letters and they have a picture and they've got the New South Wales handwriting font, which is how I'm going to be teaching students to write. So it's actually super helpful, functional, intentional. This is the kind of display that we're kind of talking about in this episode. And in terms of mathematics, there's tons of things that I could put on my walls, but I'm going to limit myself to I've got a display of the numbers 1 to 20, I think, which are probably the 20 most difficult numbers to teach kindergarten kids. And they're called number sense posters. And basically, they've got the number at the top 
And then they've got four boxes underneath. They've got the digit. So like the number one, for example, then they've got a tens frame representing that digit. Then they have like a MAB block or a Unifix cube or whatever representing the digit. So for the number one, it would be one unit cube. And then they've got the number in words, which is one of the things I struggle to know how to teach students because it's, you know, a literacy activity to know how to spell a number, but how can you kind of jump that into a math lesson? So I thought when I saw these displays, again, from Top Teacher, I thought that's actually incredibly helpful because we are going to be uh, going through all of this content during the year. And so I can say, okay, just draw your attention to the number at the top for now. And then we might move on to tens frames in term one. And so I can point to that. And it's been there the whole time. So they know it's all related. And eventually by the end of term four, when we've gotten to everything, they'll be able to look at that resource and immediately access the information they need. And the other mathematics resource that I'm going to display is just a number line of numbers one to 20, maybe 30, but probably in term one, just one to 20, so that they're always there because we'll be doing lots of out loud counting and doing numbers before and after and that kind of thing in kindergarten maths. And so it'll be really helpful just to have that there all the time because I will be explicitly referring to it. And that's why I chose these three resources in particular, because I will be explicitly referring to them and my students will need them basically every day. And so that's kind of my criteria for picking what resources go up on the walls in my displays. Like, will my students actually need this information? Are we going to be referring to it more often than not? And is, is it easy for them to access? So like I said before, it's not full of words they don't know how to read yet. It's very basic. They can identify numbers. They can identify letters as we teach them throughout the year. And that's kind of all they need. Um, yeah. And so I hope that that's given you a couple of more specific ideas of how to implement the theories that we've been talking about today. And we might revisit this later in the year. Yeah, We hope this has given you something to think about as you set up your classrooms for the new year, which is very exciting. We will be putting the prompt questions to help you think through the intention behind setting up your classroom on our Instagram, which is at Teaching Together the Podcast. And don't forget to join our Facebook group so we can create a community of people who are teaching together. Finally, don't miss our next episode where we will be exploring routines. Bye. Bye.